Last night at the confirmation, Bishop Zielinski gave, I think, one of the best uh, confirmation homilies I've ever heard. It was just very, very good, and certainly one of the best homilies I've heard him hear, because he's, I've only heard him two or three times uh, with uh, homily. So, uh, but it was very good. But at one, uh, he started with sharing a story of uh, a priest when he was on retreat, sharing his own encounter with uh, Satan as somebody who worships Satan. And he shared the, the story that this priest, as he was sharing with them, asked the Satanist, what does, what does Satan tell you? And he was expecting some, something uh, hugely blasphemous and, and such. And, and the, the person, the woman, just simply replied, do what you want. And uh, that was somewhat amazing to the, the priest and to them, and uh, you can almost hear the amazement, but there's something true there. And it got me reflecting on my own encounter with actually a witch, somebody who was into this Wicca thing. And uh, by the time I had met her, she really, already realized the error. Uh, she was experiencing terrible, terrible spiritual oppression. Uh, she had to have a house blessing because it sounds like it's made up or whatever, but uh, she, she swore up and down that uh, things would fly across the room. She had uh, cupboards opening and closing on their own against all laws of, of nature, uh, things just flying at her, and she knew. And I said, well, why did you get into it in the first place? This is after uh, she had come back to the Lord. And she said, well, it promised me power. It promised me that I would have control over, over the people that abused me, over the people that hated me. Over, it, it just prom he just promised me so much. Did it actually, any of it come true? Not a lick. It felt like I had power, she said, but I had none. He only allowed me to do what he wanted me to do. And in that one little lie, I think, is all of Satan's lies. That he promises us if we, we can just do it our way and we can have it our way. I, I joked this morning at the earlier Mass, and I will, will uh, double down on that joke, I think the theme song of hell will be Frank Sinatra's My Way. And I think the only restaurant we're going, going to find is Burger King. Have it your way. And maybe there's a reason why Burger King sells Whoppers, because isn't that what we call a big lie? Now, don't report me to Burger King, but I think there's a truth here. And we look at it, the very first temptation we have is Adam and Eve, as the serpent is talking to Eve, and she does something that uh, we know we ought not do. She actually allows the serpent to, to continue to communicate with her. And he plants those seeds of doubt. Did God really say you couldn't eat of the trees? No, just that one tree. Oh, why was that? Well, God said we would die. You're not going to die. God did this because he doesn't want you to become like him. He knows that once you eat of the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil, you will become like him. And he doesn't want that for you. Do it. Take it. Take it. And she sees in that tree something that's good for food, it's lovely to the eye, and it's desirable for attaining wisdom. The saints have reflected on those three, that threefold concupiscence, that threefold desire to sin, that brokenness, and they've uh, broken it down, and I'm convinced that every temptation that we experience, every concupiscence in our life, comes into one of those three forms. And uh, St. John is the best at naming it. The 
lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, so often we might reduce just down to uh, sexuality and, and uh, those kind of things, but lust of the eye or lust of the body is anything that's carnal. So certainly food would be a lust of the body, drugs, alcohol. How often those goods are taken out of proportion or something that we ought not do is taken. And that we live in this disordered attractions to all these things. As I keep saying, you know, a piece of cake is good. The whole cake at once, not so good. That's lust of the body, lust of the flesh. But then there's lust of the eye, that we like to surround ourselves with good things. We like shiny things. We're almost as bad as the, the ravens. We look for that gold and that silver, the thing that reflects back to us. Because we think if we have all that shiny stuff, all the jewels and all the, all the money, it reflects back to other, others, our wealth, our goodness. We like having good things around us. But in the end, it's just shiny trinkets. It doesn't mean a whole lot. But then there's the pride of life. We like when people talk well of us, when we have a name and when we're famous. You know, I, I love the, uh, still love that line from uh, If I Were a Rich Man, uh, when you're rich, they think you know. That, that his ultimately, uh, Tevye's goal in life was to be rich so that he would have people, people's esteem, that name for himself all the concupiscences, all the temptations we have as human beings can be found in those three things. So it's no coincidence that when Jesus is tempted, that he's tempted in those very three ways. Satan coming to him after, after he's been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Why would the authors, first of all, tell us 40 days and 40 nights? Because most of the time a fast would occur that they would not eat during the day, but they would have a simple meal at night. They would replenish their supplies and, and uh, go on. But this is not the case for Jesus. Forty days and forty nights, nights too, not eating, not eating anything. Forty days and forty nights of not a bite. Can you imagine? And then there's one of the greatest understatements in all of the scriptures the other one might be uh, the raising of Lazarus. Well, Lord, it's been four days. By now, there's going to be a stench. Here, it's, and he was hungry. Do you think? That uh, to be hungry, to experience hunger is not a sin. But Satan, when we're hungry, when, when we're in the midst of that brokenness, when we know there's something missing, that's when he's most able to tempt us. He comes, if you are the Son of God... Command this, this stone be turned to bread. Notice there is a little truth there, but a big lie. Claim for yourself the ability to turn stone into bread. Feed yourself. Do what you want. Do whatever it is you want. Just do it. And Jesus responds, quoting Deuteronomy, Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. There was a comedian a number of years ago that I listened to when he said that. That's why I have a hamburger with my bread. So maybe we go back to the Whopper anyway. But Jesus, uh, Satan is not done yet. He goes after. Now Matthew's, St. Matthew's account and St. Luke's account switches the, second, or the last two temptations. Personally, I think St. Luke is uh, perhaps correct because in St. Luke, everything begins and ends in Jerusalem. But here, 
Matthew has the temptation of Jesus being taken to the parapet of the temple, the very highest point of the temple to the very lowest, very lowest on the temple mount, the parapet. Throw yourself down. Can you imagine in the, in the temple, in the temple area, to throw yourself down, what kind of name that would have made for Jesus? What kind of, as he floated down, guided by the angels down to the ground, boy, he would have made a spectacle of himself and everyone would have said, here he, ooh, this is God. Look what he can do. And Satan even quotes scripture. Now this is part of the reason I think St. Matthew might not be, because as, as intelligent as Satan is, he's not quite that intelligent to pick up the pattern after the second time, or after the first time, I should say. But he quotes scripture. We have to be careful because not everyone who quotes scripture is of God because Satan's not of God. Well, God said, he, you, you won't dash your foot against the stone. He's given the angels command of you. Yeah, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, Jesus responds. And Satan, of course, not to be outdone and not to be denied his prize, comes back a third time, takes Jesus to the very high mountain, this is the Mount of Temptation. Tells him, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Everything you see, all their magnificence. Talk about lust of the eyes. Everything. Everything is yours. All you have to do is just bow down and worship. That's all you have to do. Get away from me. Get away, Satan. And he quotes scripture again, Deuteronomy. The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Jesus takes those threefold concupiscences and he resists them in all their forms. First, I have to point out that to be tempted is not necessarily a sin. Jesus is tempted, but it was an external temptation. More often than not, we experience internal temptation, that brokenness in us. But the way we are, we are tempted, we need to respond in the same way that Jesus does. We respond with the truth. That's why Jesus quotes scripture. He is the way, truth, the truth, the life. But he quotes scripture because in his weakness, in his hunger, he knows that's where he can turn. And if he is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, isn't it? To turn to scripture and to find the truth. When we're feeling tempted, when we're feeling this gnawing at us, whether it's Satan or our own brokenness, to turn to the truth and to proclaim the truth. Oh, we live in a world that doesn't like the truth, though, does it? Sometimes it wants to hide the truth. We've, we've seen that time and again where that truth is hidden, where uh, it's oppressed and oppressed and banned. And The amazing thing about truth is you can't cover it up too, too long. It makes itself known very quickly. But the other thing we need to learn, and this is what Satan do, or Jesus does, but not Eve, is you notice that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, he who made Satan does not dialogue with Satan. He does not give Satan anything other than get away, Satan. Because he knows Satan to be the father of lies. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us that Satan has been a liar from the beginning. That Satan cannot help himself but lie. Because his greatest task, his greatest desire in his, in his, since he was created is to pull people away from God to pull people away from the worship of God. According to the, uh, the, the just jumped to the, the, 
the legends, according to the, the stories, the myths of Satan and his founding, Satan did not want to worship Jesus Christ incarnate, did not want to worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the flesh. So he uses flesh against us. He uses flesh, this fallenness, against us. But Jesus redeems us. He does not dialogue with Satan. Rather, he continues to speak the truth. The amazing thing about all of this is if we pay attention to the rest of this gospel, we see something wonderful happening. Jesus did not turn stones into bread, but elsewhere he takes bread and multiplies it and makes it enough to feed 5,000 and then later 4,000. He takes bread and wine and he transforms it into his very body and blood. But he didn't claim it for himself. He didn't do it his way. But he did it the way that the Father invited. He was given that cross and he suffered death and he was raised in glorious fashion. Wouldn't that make a name for himself? But it was not a name he claimed for himself, but rather the name that God the Father gave him, the name above all names, that every knee should bend in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he didn't do it his way. He did it God the Father's way. And even though Satan thought he had rule of the world, Jesus is master and king of the universe. He is ruler. He did not bow down and worship Satan, but rather bow down his life on the cross, giving it to his Father, and receive from his Father that name above all names. That Jesus Christ did it not his way, but his Father's way. For those that are caught in the realm of Satanism or Wicca or whatever, uh, New Age philosophy it is, where that the false seductions of hope and, and control and doing it your own way and freedom, it always ends poorly. And unless there's conversion, it ends in hell. For those who give their lives to Jesus Christ, even though externally it looks like we are bounding, binding ourselves, we have to remember that the greatest lie that was told that day in the garden was that God didn't want them to eat from any of the trees. They were only told they could not eat from one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Theologians have debated, does that mean that they could have eaten from the tree of life? After all, if God bans them from the garden, he says, lest they eat of the tree of life. It was an act of mercy when God kicked them out, that they not be bound to eternal life by eating of the tree of life before they were saved and redeemed. We are redeemed by Christ's sacrifice. We are redeemed by his uh, giving, not giving in to temptation, but rather doing the will of the Father perfectly. And now we come and we receive from the tree of life, the cross, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Again, we face temptation in all its forms, but we don't face it alone. We face it with the model of Jesus Christ. And we know when we do it God's way, all ends up well for us.